From the Center for the Advancement of the Steady State Economy, this is The Steady Stater, a podcast dedicated to discussing limits to growth in the steady state economy. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Brian Check, and our episode today is Uncommon Sense, Shortcomings of the Human Mind for Handling Big Picture, Long-Term Challenges. In fact, that's the title of the latest book off the Steady State Press. We'll be talking about the book and the author, Peter Seidel. We'll read a few segments for you, too. As for Peter, well, he turned 94 years old three weeks ago. During the COVID pandemic especially, he's in an assisted living facility in Cincinnati and unable to join us. Now, rather than reinvent the wheel, I'm going to kick this off by reading the foreword, which I had the privilege of writing. So here we go with the foreword of Uncommon Sense, Shortcomings of the Human Mind for Handling Big Picture, Long-Term Challenges. I first encountered Peter Seidel at a Society of Environmental Journalists conference in Wisconsin. Or perhaps it was a conference of the U.S. Society for Ecological Economics in New York. Neither of us recall for sure, but we both noticed one thing. Our paths crossed regularly during that first decade of the 21st century. Not only did we find ourselves at the same conferences, but in the same sessions and in the same conversations, and invariably on the same side in the event of controversy or debate. Most notably, we both recognize limits to growth and the fundamental conflict between economic growth and environmental protection. Now I have the privilege of penning the foreword for the latest in a string of salient books in which Seidel offers a lifetime of wisdom on the big-picture long-term challenges in humanity. Seidel is an elder statesman of limits to growth. He's seen it all. DDT, a burning Cuyahoga River, Love Canal, the destruction of the ozone layer, coral bleaching, resource shortages, and wars too numerous to speak of. Biodiversity loss and climate change is two more insults, albeit huge ones, heaped upon a planet subjected to rabid GDP growth. With uncommon sense, I believe Seidel is at the peak of his game. It may seem a peculiar thing to say about an author in his 10th decade, but it's true in my opinion, and here's why. While Seidel's penchant for prose was fully developed by the time he wrote, for example, Invisible Walls, that was in 1998, his inquisitive mind only found more issues to integrate in the decades since. Uncommon Sense packs an impressive sweep of issues into such a packed book. No book that I'm aware of melds environmental, evolutionary, psychological, social, political, and even religious subject matter into one cogent, flowing analysis from a limits-to-growth lens, certainly not in a little over 100 pages. The topics aren't just packed in, though, like sardines squished into some unceremonious can. Seidel has something important to say about each of these topics. While some readers will have encountered similar lines of thought on some of the topics, 
few readers will fail to find something original, unique, or at least new to them in the pages of this prescient book. It's not that Seidel has all the answers, nor has he written the perfect book. Seidel took on a daunting challenge in writing Uncommon Sense. The task he bore was not simply to journalize and lament on limits to growth, but to analyze, to penetrate, to dissect what it is about Homo sapiens that leads us to the limits as a moth to a flame. Why don't we stop? Why should we? Can we? The last question, of course, is the most challenging of all for any writer of such a sweeping book. In my opinion, Saito provides a most refreshing approach. He doesn't sugarcoat the answer. You won't find any wishful notions of green growth, mind over matter, or have your cake and eat it too in uncommon sense. In his concluding chapter, Saito comes clean on the prospects for the human race to handle the big picture long-term threats. The prospects, it turns out, are far from sure, easy, or even likely. It's going to take some work, folks. But then, humans have evolved to strive, to fight, and to work. We just need to apply a little more uncommon sense. Now, let's hear Peter's opening thoughts from Chapter 1, channeled through our podcast producer, Rick Tibbetts. As I gaze out from my 13th floor balcony enjoying a warm summer day, it's hard to believe that I'm near the center of a metropolitan area of more than 2 million people. Most of what I see is lush and green. Trees obscure nearly all the buildings nestled on the hilltops. Many more structures are tucked away in valleys hidden from me by wooded ridges. To my left, on top of a long wooded ridge, is what looks like an Italian hill town with high-rise buildings rather than fortifications. Straight ahead, a high-power electric line leads off to the west where, beyond the horizon, two columns of white smoke ascend to the sky. A new scene appears under the fluid light of the setting sun. Darkness now hides the trees and reveals a sea of blinking lights, outlining the landscape and the two towns below. Streaming up and down the valley is a parade of yellow and red lights moving in both directions. An interstate. An interstate highway. Well, unlike most of us, Peter lived half a lifetime before interstate highways even appeared. Coincidentally, or maybe not, his interest in limits to growth developed during that same decade the interstate highway system was born. I'm talking about the 1950s when Peter read The Challenge of Man's Future by the geochemist Harrison Brown. That book gave Peter an epiphany about limits to growth, and from then on he sought to understand, through that lens of limits to growth, to understand the history of Homo sapiens and to envision our future. You know, Peter is among that generation that has witnessed more change, really dramatic, social, political, and especially technological change than perhaps any other generation in human history. This trend could continue, but there's a good chance it won't, because a lot of expected trends may be cut off at the knees by limits to growth, or more precisely, by the problems stemming from limits to growth. It's not surprising, then, that Chapter 2 is called The Many Problems We Face Today. Rick, why don't you read us the opening paragraph? 
Until humans took up agriculture around 10,000 years ago, they lived within the confines of a hunter-gatherer niche. Agriculture and other innovations and later modern medicine enabled the human population to grow enormously, putting it at odds with other forms of life. Today, agriculture is our most basic source of sustenance, but poor farming practices have stripped the land of productive topsoil and depleted aquifers around the world. We typically believe that our human impact on the environment is recent, but harmful methods of farming appeared early on in human history, specifically in places as ancient as Greece, North Africa, China's Yellow River Basin, and pre-Columbian Central America. Salinization of soils ruined irrigation agriculture in Mesopotamia and the Indus Valley. Rampant population growth, deforestation, and topsoil erosion caused the Mayan and Easter Island civilizations to collapse. That's Peter, all right. He takes a long-term view of the human prospect, not just the future long-term, but encompassing a long stretch of the past as well. There's so much to learn, not only from history, but prehistory as found in the archaeological record. By distilling some of these lessons from the past in Chapter 2, Peter builds quickly to identify some truly daunting problems with our environment, our societies, our governments, and our economies. A bonus in Uncommon Sense is that Peter sprinkles in what he calls spotlights. These are factual, science-based summaries or case studies that illustrate or elaborate upon his key findings. We find, for example, spotlights on population growth, the extinction crisis, and ocean acidification. These spotlights make Uncommon Sense a great choice for the classroom, too, most likely at the undergrad level for college courses in anthropology, environmental sociology, and sustainability studies. Peter finds there's a common theme running through the huge problems he's identified, the human mind. That leads to Chapter 3, What Comes with Being Human. Rick? What does come with being human? Unfortunately, it's not all good. Consider these first two paragraphs from chapter 3. We seem to be a society of narcissists. Just take one look at a magazine stand. Models line every glossy page with perfect hair, clear skin, and a flawless physique. Or listen to a news station where politicians boast of how well their countries are doing. How despite the multitude of daunting challenges at the global level, their nation's economies and militaries are bigger and stronger than ever. Not that most of us care much about the nation either, or its institutions. We're invested in our own personal problems, usually not bothering to listen to the struggles of others. We boast of our achievements, believing that the strides we've made are remarkable. For the most part, we've come to accept our egocentrism as the natural way to be. Rarely do we consider why. To analyze our behaviors, we must look internally. Doing so means we have to eliminate the constant distractions, temporarily at least. Let's try it. Let's pause to go on an introspective journey. It's time now to move inward and pull to the surface our basic drives and emotions to understand who we really are and how we can control them to transform our outward forces toward more positive outcomes. This is where Peter Seidel takes us on a quick exploratory trip of the human mind, our primitive brain as he calls it. He describes how, in many ways, We're operating with much of the DNA of our hunter-gatherer ancestors. It's good stuff, for sure, if you're faced with quick-twitch decisions in your immediate environment. Decisions about which animal to pursue and 
and whether to flee or fight from a predator or a warfaring human. Decisions that, that determined if you lived or died and whether humans reproduced or went extinct. Maybe it's not too surprising then that certain personality traits and behaviors come along with our primitive brains. Things like competitiveness, violence, racism, and avarice. Of course, Peter isn't the first person to write about these primitive instincts and personality traits, but he is one of the few to connect these findings with the shortcomings we have for tackling the big picture, long-term challenges besetting us in the 21st century. He quotes E.O. Wilson, We have created a Star Wars civilization with Stone Age emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technology. So it's not only about our behavior as individuals, but what that leads to in society. Chapter 4, then, is called The Psychology of Our Modern Society. Kick it off for us, please, Rick. Working together should enable us to resolve a broad range of problems better than individuals working independently, yet it often doesn't seem to work out that way. Despite the additional knowledge, talent, and ideas available in groups, countervailing phenomena interfere, including groupthink and bureaucracy. Rational, responsible behavior becomes even more difficult than it is at the individual level, and when we attempt to work together on a large scale, as in a democratic government, decisions can be difficult to enact and original intentions of betterment or reform are sometimes perverted. Now that's a paragraph that resonated with me, having spent almost 30 years in various federal and tribal bureaucracies. Groupthink really is a problem, especially when the group is thinking with those primitive minds. Also in Chapter 4, Peter points out that at this point in history, with technology and massive quantities of data, we're dealing with a serious overload of information. Meanwhile, complex, systematic thinking doesn't readily comport with our quick judgment, fast-action brains. Peter explains how this leads to simplistic thinking and the popularity of perpetual growth charlatans who evoke precisely those psychological traits described by Peter in Chapter 3. Peter concludes Chapter 4 with several sections about ethics. Ethics and values, business ethics, government ethics. And as if there weren't enough challenges, we also have the unintended consequences of good intentions, which makes for some interesting thinking about our investment in human health. Speaking of human health, or the lack thereof, remember the seven dwarves of big tobacco infamy? Well, you can see them again on page 80, perjuring themselves before Congress. Uncommon Sense is spruced up with 29 photos and figures, including a few real classics. Well, so far you might be wondering, right in the midst of a pandemic, do I really want to read a book that's all about dire problems? But, as a lot of good authors do, Peter Seidel has saved the best for the last. Chapter 5 is called Changing Our Minds a play on words given his earlier focus on the shortcomings of the human brain. Now, you won't find any silver bullets here, as I noted in the foreword, but it's far an empty cylinder either. What do we have in Chapter 5, Rick? 
Well, even in chapter five, he starts out with a few warnings. For example, there's the section on not all responses succeed, where he warns against piecemeal problem solving and techno fixes. But then, after a section called Knowing the Right Things, he's got some great advice about a bigger role for women in politics and government, the development of big picture, long term studies in academia, and a thing he calls afiction literature. Oh, yeah, Peter is really big on that. He's talking about. He's talking about not fiction and not nonfiction, but taking scientifically established trends with, uh, say, climate change and sea level rise, for example, and then developing epic tales from far off in the future. In fact, he took a crack at this himself with an earlier book, 2045, and he's been working on a sequel called, sure enough, 2145. Yeah, and also in Chapter 5, we find headings such as educating journalists, moving toward a steady-state economy, getting political, and supporting the right organizations. Well, those are nice and self-explanatory, and they also help explain to our listeners why we took such an active interest in this book. I also really appreciate Peter's final words under the heading, Keeping Our Hopes Up. It's a tidy little section, and it goes like this. Considering all the above, it's not easy to be optimistic and hopeful. Maybe we don't need to be both, though. Optimism is little more than complacent assumption, while hope is a deep driving desire that moves us to act toward what is desired. Optimism is hardly helpful and can often be harmful, while hope is a profound virtue often found with the likes of truth, justice, and compassion. Could hope, too, have evolved as a human mental faculty? It does seem conceivable, but that's a topic for another author's book. What I know for sure is that it yet exists. Unless we have passed some particularly momentous tipping point unawares, our hopes are not misplaced. While humans may never again enjoy the spectacular earth of old, by taking action soon, we can save a lot of what's left. We can reduce our ecological footprint, share our resources fairly, and stop in wars. The fact that we can doesn't mean we will, but it means we can hope, which increases the chances we will. We have scientists who understand climate change, biodiversity loss, and limits to growth. We have authors who warn us about the resource wars that stem from economic growth. We have individuals and organizations advocating the steady-state economy. The human brain did not evolve to focus on the big-picture long-term challenges daunting us in the 21st century. Yet evolution has allowed some space in the human mind to ponder such challenges and recognize solutions, starting with the reining in of our GDP. Therein lies our hope. Well, folks, that about wraps her up. We've discussed the latest book off the Steady State Press. It's called Uncommon Sense shortcomings of the human mind for handling big-picture, long-term challenges. The author is Peter Seidel, a wise man of 94 years on planet Earth, 
You can get your own copy of the book by going to Amazon.com or by going to SteadyState.org, panning over to the Discover button and clicking Steady State Press in the drop-down menu. I highly recommend it to our listeners, students, and anyone interested in the future of humankind. I'm Brian Check, and you've been listening to the Steady Stater Podcast. See you next time.